0: What is good, guys? I'm back, it's Michael Zakhand here with another episode of the Our Future podcast. Unfortunately, my family and I did have to evacuate our home due to the raging wildfires in the Santa Cruz mountains and across the state. We are all safe, but if there's any disruptions in the production of this pod, that is why. And I just wanna give a huge shout out to all the firefighters in the Bay Area and across the state putting their lives on the line to contain these crazy fires. I do have some good news, though. We just launched the Our Future hoodie It's super sick. It looks incredible. And I'm donating all the proceeds to fire relief efforts. There's a link to purchase in the description of this podcast if you want to rock the Our Future brand on your body. My next guest is Luke Anderson, co-founder of Can, the trailblazing cannabis beverage company with a mission to change the way that people socialize. It's a beautiful product with incredible flavors like lemon lavender and citrus rosemary. And they just sold their millionth product. And now they're expanding out of California and into Nevada. Luke discusses leaving Bain & Company with his co-founder, Jake, to launch a startup in the beverage space, the challenges to scaling a cannabis product, and his advice to young people who are going out into the world. Hope you guys enjoy. One way I like to start off my interviews, Luke, is when you were in my shoes when you were 20 years old, did you see what you were doing now, like back then, or was this out of the question? No, not at all. I I was the first person in my family
1: to go to college and I didn't have parents pushing me to say, like, do this, do that, but I really wanted to be and ended up starting as a high school teacher. So I I did my first two years out of undergrad uh, teaching math. And I, you know, thought I might have wanted to do it for a lot longer. um, But I had also gotten a job offer at Bain and Company uh, to be a consultant, and that was something I wanted to try out too. So I I deferred the Bain job and and then went into management consulting after a couple of years of teaching. But even you know while I was at Bain, I still was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And if you told me five years later uh, I would have been prepping to run a cannabis beverage company, I would have slapped you.
0: You're the second cannabis founder I've interviewed. The first being Socrates Rosenfeld who launched iHeartJane.com. When Socrates was at McKinsey, he was thinking about this business he wanted to start. He wanted to start a, an online cannabis marketplace. Were you thinking about your future CPG brand when at those final days of Bain leading up to it? No.
1: Well, I honestly thought up until the last maybe three months at Bain, I thought I was going to stay at Bain forever. Uh, I was really happy. I was I was enjoying my job. And the the thing that I started specializing in was... Um, helping big, usually CPG companies, uh, behave more like startups. I gave a presentation on, like, for an hour in front of 500 people at Bain about like how to use sprints and agile ways of working to break down um, institutional barriers to efficiency. And uh, I left that presentation and was like, Wow, I've never really been at a, at a startup, but I'm telling a lot of people how to act like a startup. Maybe I could do a startup. Uh, and so when my friend Jake, who had this brilliant idea for a microdose um, alcohol substitute with a little THC in it, um, approached me and said he was thinking about leaving uh, business school and going to the sovereign wealth fund of Singapore, um, unless he could find someone to do this business with. I said, hold on a second there. I, I'm, I'm down to explore it. Um, but really, it wasn't until we... we you know, I was in London at the time, and he was in um, uh, San Francisco... At the time, we flew to New York and met up for a weekend, and said, "Let's do a whiteboarding session for two straight days. And if we don't want to kill each other by the end of it, then let's keep going."
0: Your mission is to like change the way how people socialize. Take take me take me with you on that. We
1: were both very heavy alcohol drinkers. Uh, We socialized predominantly by you know Friday night rolls around. You go out to the bar. You have Five, six, seven, ten 10 vodka sodas, like it, yeah. it was obscene. Uh, and we would talk about in our social circles, how alcohol was the worst thing that we were doing to ourselves. And yet we would just do it over and over and over again, because, you know, when you're a, a hardworking person and you finish the work day or you finish the work week, there's this very human desire to take the edge off with some type of mild intoxicant. Um, now I think that socializing is so alcohol heavy because there aren't really any commercialized and readily available options in the same places, bars and restaurants, or the same shops like liquor stores um, that you tend to spend your money when you're prepping for a social event. Um, We think that Can is the first of very, very many products that will exist in the future, some of which we'll make, some of which many other people will make, that will create this new normal where it's not just drink or be sober it's not go out or stay in it's what do you drink and how do you want to feel um for me a perfect night out is i have two cans to start the night and then i have two margaritas and and then i'm like that that's great it's four drinks it's two alcoholic drinks and i have an amazing time i don't get sloppy i don't black out when i do that and um and I feel better about myself the next day and I can have a productive Sunday and not have anxiety leading into Monday. So when you look at that like weekend arc, um, I think a lot of adults, especially you're too young for this, but when you get to be 30, you have your first two day hangover. And at that point you really start looking critically at how you deal with alcohol and what role it plays in your life. It's poisonous. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that, there's a lot of people that feel this way, this this desire to have some new option and you're seeing it in, in illicit forms. People uh, more often now than I've ever seen before are partying with, you know, small doses of psychedelics like, you know, m- a mushroom chocolate. I see at parties way more often than I ever did when I was your age. Um, I think it's only a matter of time before there's microdose psilocybin seltzers that, that you can buy. Colorado will probably be the first place that you probably. see those. And if you partake in something like that, you'll realize it's it's just a lot less destructive when you're responsible with it than drinking alcohol. So it'll take some societal waking up for it to become normalized. And we hope that just by, you know, making and selling our product and getting people to fall in love with it, that we're just the tip of the spear in helping people uh, realize there's a, a, a new path.
0: You guys have a beautiful product. You guys have been doing really successful. But what, what was the hard part? What I mean, part? Oh,
1: it has been such a grind. The last 12 months, uh, I think the biggest challenges uh, are related to manufacturing, even in your home state. Um, it, it's really, really hard to accurately dose a two milligram THC product. You have to be within plus or minus 10% of uh, variance in order for it to pass the COA, the certificate of analysis. And, uh, and that means we have a razor thin 1.8 to 2.2 milligrams of THC that we have to hit each time. Now, labs are so under evolved that when we sent the exact same batch, consistently dosed to seven different labs in the State of California, we had plus or minus 30% variance on the same batch, even within the same lab, on the same day. And so when your labs are not that accurate, and are still learning how to test beverage, and you have to pump out a million cans that all pass, uh, you know, and get the paperwork, um, that, that has been, I think the biggest challenge, but we've learned from doing it ourselves in small batches at first, if you pre dose, uh, or sorry, if you pre test before you actually release the cans, uh, onto the filling and seaming operation and you send it to the lab and you check to see what the potency is, and then you, um, augment the dosage in the tanks, which, which is what our partners, um, at, at space station do so well uh, at scale. Now, um, then you can, you can make it happen. But I think, um, you know, that'll eventually get fixed. So I think the next round of people that are making cannabis beverages will have less to worry about when it comes to, you know, accurate lab testing. The, The other thing, which is an even bigger problem, is that the places that we can sell our product are marijuana dispensaries people that shop at marijuana dispensaries today, they don't want like a weed claw. They don't want like a a microdose. They're looking to dab. Like I've never dabbed in my life, but that looks scary to me. And I, and my friends and I, like we're afraid of getting too high. Uh, We talk, we talk about cannabis as something that's a little intimidating. And 50% of Americans are in that same camp. They're like, Oh, I want to try, but like, I really don't want to have that experience. Like I did in college where I had a pot brownie and I felt like I was like, you know, in outer space and couldn't be at the party. Um, so we, the consumers love our product, but the vast majority of them don't even know where to buy it. We get so many texts and so many DMS on Instagram being like, I went to whole foods and I can't find your product. And I'm like, it's one, not legal one, to
0: sell one there. day. You're going to be able to sell there. I mean, one day you're going to have cannabis and Walgreens. One day you're going to have it at whole foods. It's a matter of time. The fact that you're out ahead and doing this now is great because you will be You will be more iconic than others when you do get there. You know, you have a head start.
1: I hope so. And I think you're right. But I think that it's not that you're going to buy pre-rolls at Walgreens. And I don't think you're going to buy pre-rolls at Whole Foods. What I think you will be able to buy are microdose edibles and beverages. Things that, you know, are no more dangerous than a bottle of Advil or a six pack of of White Claw. Um, and, And once people learn a little more about THC and understand that there's gradations to your experience based on how many milligrams you're consuming, Um, it really doesn't make sense for for it to be relegated to uh, a pot shop. It it should exist in liquor stores as a healthier alcohol alternative. It should exist in grocery stores as something that you could buy just as easily as you would hard kombucha. Um, And so I think it'll take regulations to look at microdose as an entirely different class Of of you know cannabis regulations, but we we hope to get big enough by brute force to be able to start having those conversations and and lobbying ourselves.
0: Definitely, what's been your favorite part about like owning something of your own, like bringing something new into the world, and investing all your energy and time and passion into it? Like, I mean, at Bain you were looking at a lot of stuff. Now you feel like you can really take ownership of like a movement. What? How would how would you talk about that?
1: Yeah, I think it's it, it's really uh, all about the returns to focusing on something. Like Bain's amazing because it teaches you that you can start something with no experience. Like I I was thrown into this project where I was working for a healthcare client, and I'd never ever known anything about the healthcare industry. And I had 48 hours before I had to present something to people and, and act like I was knowledgeable about this topic. And so, you learn through this trial by fire approach. You you just digest as much information as possible. You synthesize it, and then you you can kind of you know become an expert very quickly if you just focus and you work. Um, but every three months, you pivot and you shift and you go through that exercise again. It's been. Eighteen months since Jake and I started working on this full time, and it, it feels like every three months we get deeper into the industry and deeper into the capabilities required to grow and scale a business of any kind. And and, and yeah, the ownership thing is is really an added bonus. Like I I, don't, I often wake up sometimes and I'm like, wait, I own like this company. I I, I don't even think about it that way. I think about this as like intensive and continuous problem solving. And then at the end of a milestone, like we, we just did our first 500,000 quarter and, and we pulled ourselves up after Q2 and we were like, whoa, let's take stock of all that we've achieved as a team. And let's take stock of this thing that we own that's growing and has exactly. a life of its own and a culture of its own. Um, that that's been a real gift, but it's almost been, an, uh, for me, at least um, if you talk to Jake, who's been thinking about owning a company for a lot longer than me,
0: for me, it's really been an accidental joy. So what's your advice to to young people, kids in college right now who are either graduating, going out into this COVID world? What's your advice? Two things.
1: Um, one is don't underestimate the power of hitching yourself to a machine, like a, a big company, like uh, a Google, a Bain, uh, you know, where you can learn in some type of rotational capacity skills from people who know what they're doing. That That is incredibly valuable, not just in, you know, having that on your resume and opening doors in the future, but it, it's great uh, to build a network of people who, when you do want to start something on your own someday, will be willing to write you a check and invest in your company. Um, I, I am lucky to say I have 15 friends who I knew from either Bain or HBS who wrote checks to, to, you know, fund our pre-seed round. Um, and I, I think that these experiences working alongside them and, and learning with them, um, I think gave them the confidence that I would be a good bet, uh, or a safe place for their money. Um, the second thing. And this is more general: is don't be an asshole. Um, I, there were many times in my life, in particular in college, where I was an asshole, and I look back and I regret very, very much times where I was selfish or difficult to people. Uh, the more I've ventured into this like independent business world, where You are your word, and you are your brand, and your reputation precedes you. Um, I'm I'm grateful for all the times I did work hard and for all the people I didn't disappoint, but uh, I I wish it was a a fully 100% clean slate.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that was Luke Anderson, co-founder of THC Beverage Pioneer Ken. It's leading the charge to create more options for when we go out and socialize options that aren't alcohol. What an awesome combo. Make sure you guys are subbed up to the pod and the Our Future newsletter. Stay frosty and stay safe, guys. Peace out.